Howdy. Welcome to Undersampled Radio, the show where we talk science, tech, oil, business, politics, and more. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Graham. Together, we're the hosts of this circus. To follow the conversation, make suggestions, or rant and rave, please visit the forum Software Underground at swung.rocks. We're live. Is it happening? It is. So, uh, first note, apologies to you and the listeners for all of the dogs running around in the background on this episode. Uh, we are dog-sitting this, not a whole week, but a couple of days. And um, so you'll hear lots of nails on hardwood. That's how, how many dogs? You have a dog of your own, right? I have one dog of my own plus one dog of dog sitting equals two dogs. Okay. Well, uh, count yourself lucky because we're pet sitting too right now. Some ring-necked doves. Ring-necked doves. Yeah. We're, uh, so they're called that because after living them with them for a little while, that's what you'd like to do to them. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, you know that sort of beautiful evocative sound of, of turtle doves coo cooing in the forest. Beautiful. That, yeah, I am so sick of that. <laughs> that sound. <laughs> we need it on the podcast. That is that it's, is absolute just calming. That's what we need. That's what our listeners. Yeah, need. except it will be all the way through the podcast very loudly. <laughs> um, I've done my best to seal myself off, but they might break through at some point. There's only three of the little buggers, but yeah, wow, Ouch. they are yeah. So if anyone ever offers you that opportunity, I would turn it down. <laughs> How long do you have the doves? Um, not very much longer because we're going on, on uh, holiday or vacation uh, on Friday. So um, I think they're going back to their rightful owner at that point. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a delight. It's been a pleasure, really. No, the pleasure's been all ours. Good. Good. Um, all right. Well, I, how long have you had the doves? It feels like about 200 years, but I think it's a couple of months at least. It's been a while. I've seen a lot of, I didn't see any dove photos, but I've seen a lot of photos of you on Instagram recently. Oh. Mm. In various orienteering outfits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, a bit of cosplay, never did any harm. Looks like looks like you guys are uh, winning as a family, matching matching uh, outfits. That's good. That's How'd you right. do? How'd you do in the races? Uh, yeah, you know, good. The races around our way are, are, are pretty small, so quite often it's, you know, there might only be a handful of people in a category, but um, the kids like it and it gets us out of the house, running around in the forest. Nice. They keep coming back though, so I'm gonna have to try them on some harder courses if you really want them to go. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's good. It's a good. It's one of those great like analog things, right? It's been it's been made easier to sort of watch and follow and learn uh, with technology, but technology hasn't really penetrated. I mean, it can't penetrate the actual sport because the whole point of it is that you've got to use a map and a compass. Um, 
so training and stuff like that's got easier and spectating has got easier with gps on athletes and so on mm -hmm. but um it's it's you know fundamentally still the kind of scouts slash guides navigation experience it's good you know what you ought to do is give them a sextant and uh let them figure out <laughs> <laughs> the fundamentals of maritime yeah. navigation from yeah. first principles yeah doesn't work uh you can't yeah, see you do you can do orienteering at night um yeah. but you still use a map and a compass and you just use a very bright headlamp oh headlamp. Also a yeah a kerosene lantern <laughs> yeah just a flaming handheld torch burning <laughs> held aloft um yeah there's all sorts that you can orienteer on bikes we did canoe orienteering the other day that was quite good um there's a bizarrely underwater orienteering uh which i don't know anything about but seems very strange uh yeah fun for all the family they make you do that kind of stuff when you get your super mega ultra dive certification whatever use your compass and figure out which way oh. you have to do triangles and hexagons it's like i'm okay. never gonna do this that's so. kind of what they're doing yeah they swim around in a lake with these huge fins mm -hmm. and uh scooters i don't think it's a scooter i think they're swimming but i guess it's an oxygen tank that they hold in front of them does that make any sense yeah i yeah so okay Wackos, I, I don't think it's part of the propulsion, but I don't know why it wouldn't be on their back. Anyway, I don't really know anything about it, like I say, but I've, I've seen seen it on YouTube, so it must exist as a real thing. Hey, okay, we're here. <laughs> you, okay, so first topic of the day, <clears throat> how did you hack YouTube and get us in today? I don't know. Um, I changed... Like the new settings are totally weird and you don't recognize, I don't recognize anything. There's like studio thing and you go there and it seems to just be a bunch of uh, videos, but nothing to press on that says, do it now. Um, I switched something. There were two options for like how you create videos or something. There was like studio or creator. Mm -hmm. and I switched it to creator and then it looked familiar and I was able to do what we've always done all right so they are indeed sunsetting the youtube live through no, that's not true the what do they call hangouts on air which oh, was yes. back end powering our um thing on august 1st so this is likely the last one that we'll do without having to figure something else out yeah. so okay well i see that now it, there's a little thing showing up in uh in the broadcast window here but it says for quick streaming go to youtube.com slash webcam so i did that and you can't invite people it's only a single it's only a single person uh streaming video okay so our our travel allowance is just about to go up substantially it is <laughs> we'll have to rent a studio halfway like in minneapolis or something couldn't we pick like the bahamas <laughs> Well, I guess I could get down there. Yeah. yeah, sure. Okay, see you there. So I hear you've been busy. Uh, yeah, you know, we've been doing the training thing, the training bug. 
And then in between, I've been squeezing in trips all over the place, which is crazy, and I need to stop doing it. Because you go, oh, yeah, that's yeah, that'll be easy. I could come over there for two days, and then you remember it's an entire day of travel each direction, and there goes another week kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, we've been doing a lot of stuff. Someone told me you guys did, like, six courses in June? Uh, yeah, something like that. Um, in June, we did three solid weeks of teaching. And at one point, there were five of us um, teaching like simultaneously. You know, yeah, it was crazy. Um, and it, you know, in a way, those compressed things are a bit easier to manage because at least there's just one event happening, and we can like build stuff around it um, and get everybody there. And there's only one set of hotels and everything. But it's um, it's awesome. Yeah. We've uh, we've touched, you know, probably nearly 350 people, I think, this year again. Um, wow. So yeah, I, I, you know, there's this whole this whole movement. There's this swell of people. And what's really been cool this year, actually, has been that we've seen we've started offering sort of more advanced type topics around more specialized machine learning stuff. Uh, we've got a course that we call Mastery, where we get into like object-oriented uh, packaging, command line interfaces, testing, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've seen people coming back to those and sort of growing their skills as as scientist coders. So that's been really cool to see. Um, and and we've definitely noticed the hackathons we've been doing lately that the projects are getting more sophisticated, more, more ambitious. And, um, that's been cool. So yeah, it's, you know, it's all going in the right direction. Nice. Yeah. You, I mean, you, I, you know, I, I don't follow social media much anymore and that's mostly where I see what you're up to. But, um, every, like every time you, we chat and every time you pop up, you're doing more talks and you were just at sci-fi, right? So you're still finding some time for awesomeness play. I would well, sci-fi is pretty awesome. No, no, exactly. Yeah, that's what I mean. You're finding time to go do stuff like sci-fi. You're not totally crunched by client stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I was at sci-fi. Um, that was a that was really interesting. I you know every time there's every time you go to sci-fi, there's always like this list of action items that you have when you leave. A lot of times I find when I leave a conference, um, there are a bullet list of things that I want to read up on, study up on. When I leave SciPy, there's, there's a much larger list of bullets of like actual things that you can just use right now and try to integrate them into your workflow. Um, so it's been, what, two days since SciPy ended, and I've already integrated two new tools into my uh, <laughs> various aspects of my team's uh, workflows. Um, That's cool. So that's pretty sweet. Uh, one is Scorch. Have you used Scorch? Nope. Uh, it's nice. It's just like basically like a convenience library that wraps PyTorch that allows you to uh, basically integrate your PyTorch models into the scikit-learn framework. So it gives you an estimator wrapper for a any type of model that you build using vanilla PyTorch. And then you can use all the scikit-learn um, API stuff on top of your models, which is pretty stinking sweet. Yeah, that's cool. 
um, including like pipelining, which is awesome. And what was the other one? Uh, yellow brick, scikit yellow brick, which okay. is basically just like a bunch of um, uh, machine learning specific visualizations that are built on top of Matplotlib. And it's totally not overdone, which I love. So it is, it's literally like um, a confusion matrix, for instance. Like right. we've all written a hundred of them, right? And the whole point is stop writing one every time you work, right? Just like, yeah. just use the method. Um, so it's really, uh, already, it's been two days and it's already been a time saver for us. Okay, that's great. So that's cool. Yeah. Check them out. Lots of other what good was, stuff. What, was there anything that was like, sometimes, I, I don't know, well, I say sometimes, I've only been twice, but um, it seems like there was often a bit of a, theme or meme <laughs> that was going around like every other person would mention uh i don't know dask i think it was last time and yeah. out of core stuff what 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 were the buzzy things this time around hmm. there was a lot of stuff on optimization like there was a lot of stuff on um ancillary or, or like related to machine learning but not what you would call traditional machine learning um, work. So for instance, there was a talk about um, doing optimization of parameter spaces to find subsets of um, feature uh, regions, like regions in a feature space, so that you could select out representative examples from uh, high dimensional feature spaces so that you could like cull down a training set for use on some reasonable hardware. Um, which, by the way, I, I need to look up the guy's name. That talk was hilarious. It was it was awesome. He was he his whole example. This is a, this is a if you've never been to SciPy, it's it's a fairly academic conference. It's like a room full of nerds, and there is this guy on stage talking about this uh, this optimization, and he's doing so by way of example of Gossip Girl, which is a um, TV show that is about uh, dramatic teenager high school life, and it was hilarious. <laughs> so they were attempting to predict, um, no spoilers here, because I don't know what the answer is, but uh, they were attempting to predict what the main characters, there's, there's like an, there was like a narrator character that has sort of omniscience over the whole show or something, and they tried to predict which which character that was. So it was pretty funny. It was very funny. And it was, uh, it was just a well done talk. So oh, a lot of the talks, as you know, at sci-fi are just uh, heartfelt and uh, yeah, yeah. fun. Yeah. That topic's kind of interesting. And it doesn't sound unrelated to sort of trying to pick out representative uh, realizations from sets of simulations and yes. things like that, right? Um, mm. Sort of like, what are the... Um, yeah, end members, as it were, in some unseen latent space of um, of examples. Like if you're going to go, if you if you can only simulate ten things, which ten of the one thousand realizations you've made uh, should you be simulating? So that's an interesting topic. It comes comes up a lot in the hackathons that we've been doing internally and externally. There's almost always somebody who's thinking about like, how do I make sense of all of these reservoir models or all of these simulations I'm doing of uh, 
seismic, like micro seismic or 4D seismic or something like that. Hmm. How do you handle it? I mean, it, there must be, I mean, in that case, you have physical parameters. So there are non-physical constraints you have, to, you have to satisfy. Is there some sort of probabilistic suite of stuff that you use to condition those simulations? Um, no, I mean, I feel like right now what most people are doing is just really naive, some kind of sorting um, on some parameter that you do understand and then trying to take, you know, um, percentiles out of that. Uh, it's not very satisfactory and feels a bit arbitrary, especially because if you look at something like a, you know, static reservoir model, um, you know, two realizations that might be right next to each other in terms of their, you know, if you sort them on volume or something like that, um, or average porosity or something, two realizations that might be right next to each other might be completely different geologically, right? Geometrically, they're completely uh, at odds. So, that, so, so it becomes far too arbitrary to just choose one or two dimensions to sort them on and select from. So I feel like that's that's where the dissatisfaction is coming from and i don't know that anyone's nailed that dealt with it properly um well i suppose that you could attempt to start solving the problem more holistically by using dimensionality reduction to select your characteristics of your results but that is also naive right yeah i mean the ge geometry thing's really interesting and actually um been thinking recently about a project that might get going where I think we'd be looking at geometric objects, so three-dimensional or even four-dimensional objects and trying to do machine learning with those in order to recognize the shapes of things. Um, that's not something I've thought about much at all, but, you know, of course, like anything else, right, you Google it and sure enough, there's practically a journal called geometric machine learning or whatever <laughs> there's all these people out there thinking about like you know of course a lot of it comes from things like augmented reality um where people are actually trying to recognize physical objects from photography or what have you um but i am not aware of anyone trying to apply stuff like that to three-dimensional ge geological models it's been done uh okay yeah. <laughs> so building up systems to do um, content-based indexing, I, th I find really um, fascinating. And let me give you an example in a second, because I just looked up this guy's name and I wanted to mention it, so I didn't forget it. Uh, oh. The talk I just mentioned is Jacob Schreiber from University of Washington. And he wrote a, the name of the talk was Submodular Selection for um, Data Summarization. He wrote a library called Apricot which is open source and you can use it right now to do exactly what we were just talking about. Okay. So that was the Gossip Girl uh, talk. Yes. So you can figure out who Gossip Girl is. Um, so it seems like you could do some sort of um, characterization of three-dimensional or n-dimensional objects using a fairly naive image processing system like a CNN, right? So let's say you like you had some data, uh, some three-dimensional data, and you had some geobodies contained in there. If you knew where those geobodies were, you could select out that subset of the data and then 
run an image classifier on that. And presumably, you have multiple instances, and you have n classes. And do you make a, is that a dove I heard in the background? No. Oh, some other bird. OK. Uh, uh, yeah, I think that would work, right? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, how, um, what, uh, where are these images coming from when you've got three-dimensional objects? But you tell me. You're the geophysicist. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of geo things that are three-dimensional. Right? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I, 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 I suspect it's, you know, they're related to graphs as well, right? So obviously, these things are representable as uh, as graphs. So, so down the rabbit hole you go. Oh man, let me just one step further. So, imagine, you know, graph in graph space. You're not really in um, like a like a certainly not Euclidean space, but you're not even really in like a physical dimensionality that makes any sense. Continuous manifold, maybe you would call that. And um, so distance measures don't have the same type of meaning that they might have in some sort of like voxel-wise classification scheme. Um, but what I find really fascinating, and in fact, I'm actually giving a webinar about this and some other things on Wednesday. Uh, is that you can use the structure, the topology of the graph in a in its um, non-physical structural characteristics to typify um, types of interactions between entities. And and on Wednesday, the thing I'll talk about is fraud detection, um, but they can be used for all sorts of things. So if you think about the case where you have that physical three-dimensional object, and you and you have like whatever n classes and n examples of each class, um, you can build a regular voxel-wise or pixel-wise classifier to detect which one is which. But if you use something like a, um, actually, you can even use, and this is what I'll claim on Wednesday because I tried a little uh, thing like this. Uh, if you use even a very simple learning architecture, you can extract topology metrics from a graph, which are then used, injected as features into some easy peasy classifier to figure out what types of interactions those um, neighbors have. So in the case of fraud detection, the thing that we've done um, time and time again is use topology metrics of subgraphs to figure out which monetary exchanges are fraudulent exchanges and which are normal. It's anomaly detection, but it's like in this weird non-physical, you know, like sort of non-physically continuous space. Yes. I would say I see, but I don't quite see. But I mean, I, it's, uh, yeah. So it's about relationships in that case, I guess. But it's about the transactions are edges. Yeah, the transactions are edges in that example. And you can imagine a case where you have like um, a subgraph of, let's say, whatever, 10 entities who are all maybe businesses. So those are the nodes. And um, depending on, and this is a temporal system too, so it gets a little bit weird, but like depending on the, if, if you take out the temporal component and just assume just like static monetary transactions, uh, you know, potentially like things that, Go, look like a circular 
exchange could be money laundering rings, right? That's yeah, a, a pretty bad sure. example, but um, it's pretty there easy. Are... It's pretty yeah. easy to to do that type of analysis. You don't even have to know what metrics you're looking for. Just right. extract as many as you can think of and feed them into a network that's deep enough to delineate those cross terms, and away she goes. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, graphs are yeah. I mean, those are another thing. I guess I can't remember if we talked about hypergraphs already on the <laughs> on the show. Before, we did. But... I would love. I would love to talk about them because I had no idea what they were until uh, I very, very belatedly read your comment on Slack. Right. I mean, it's one of those things where, you, like, I would read about them and have no idea why I needed them, but then I sort of d discovered a. A thing and you're like what, what is this thing that i've made <laughs> and you start like googling around and it's like oh okay i think this is this is a hypergraph um and it all it all it all i was coming at it from is you remember we talked about markov chains before yep and uh and, and markov chains is just like this thing you know has transitions into this thing so a can go to b can go to c can go to f uh, and that those are expressible as a graph but if you take two steps, it's like A goes to B goes to D. Um, now you can't really represent that in a graph anymore. You need, you, so in a, in a, and another way to put it is you can't represent those relationships in a matrix. You need like a cube. You need a 3D matrix to represent them. Um, so, so now you need a hypergraph. And then, then you get into it. Gets that seems to get even more into set theory because I guess there's a big link between set theory and graph theory in the first place. But the hypergraphs are about sets of um, where edges are represented not as one node to another node, but as sets of nodes. Um, so these hypergraphs that come from multi-step Markov chains are. Um, quite specific kinds of hypergraphs where the sets always have the same size. So they're uniform. Uh, you know, they always have say two or three or four members, depending on how many steps you're looking at. Um, so yeah, I, I haven't taken that stuff any further because I got a bit confused about how to just how to visualize them. Because <laughs> oh, you can make anything in NumPy, but it's like, oh, I have a six dimensional array. <laughs> what am I going to do with that? Um, and it, you know, all you can really do is look at two dimensions at a time, maybe three dimensions at a time. So really, you you end up just looking at graphs. Um, but it's you know, these things you got to do something on the six-hour flight from Heathrow to Toronto. Um, and I do I, I do actually look forward to those long flights because I do get a chance, especially because they've all got Wi-Fi now. So yeah. I can actually uh, I, I used to enjoy just coding and not having access to Wi-Fi and only being able to write code. But now it all, I could also look stuff up. Yeah. <laughs> Actually be slightly more effective. So, um, but for some reason I haven't allowed myself to like get into crap like email. I'm not sure it's probably, it's probably a horrible idea to do email on a plane anyway. Cause who knows? I don't know. It's people all around. What's this? I'm not that paranoid, but you know, get a nice VPN. Did I ever tell you? Oh, here's a here's a word of warning to our listeners. In case I never said this, I probably already did. Uh, Is I've this been... a threat? <laughs> no, no, no. 
Pro tip. Yeah. A pro tip from someone who set up their own VPN. So um, I set uh, years ago. I set up my own VPN using Algo VPN, uh, which is great. Right. It works wonders. That's awesome. Uh, and the impetus, part of the impetus, was that it would be cheaper uh, than paying for a VPN service. And it turns out that because of all the data, so you, you set up a server in the cloud, right? But because of all the data that I was transferring through the server, it ended up being more expensive oh. than <laughs> paying for a, for a managed service. So um, there you go. Okay, so it seemed like a nice idea. Yeah, I, you know, yeah. I've been I've been a, actually quite a recent convert to VPNs, uh, mainly through because Rob, my you know, the guy that we hired last year, um, is is really into all that stuff, and I just don't really pay attention. So he's like, you don't use a VPN? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's what I've been saying for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't yeah. Me, did you? What kind of headphones you got there? Wireless. There's noise cancelling. These, yes. That's why I'm that happy with them, though. That's why you can't do them behind you. <laughs> Dove cancelling adverts. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I'm not that happy with them, to be honest. They're they're just uh, like I can't remember how much they cost. They're maybe sort of the lower end, two hundred bucks maybe. The Sony's, um, and they're fine and everything. They get a little bit uncomfortable after. A podcast. All headphones do. No, no, more like sort of two, three hours. I start getting a bit. I can feel them on the top of my head, um, and the noise cancelling isn't fantastic. In fact, I used the ones that they gave me on the plane the other day um, because you had to use them, I think, for the entertainment system. And the noise cancelling on there was way better than it is on here. So I was like, oh, oh man. <laughs> yeah. Oh well. Oh. So what's next? You go on vacation. Oh, yeah, going on vacation, uh, orienteering vacation. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, for a week, and then we're going to Prince Edward Island, which is the smallest province in Canada. Um, it's beautiful, though. One of one of the oldest is where the whole idea of Canada was uh, originally hatched or signed, I guess. Anyway, PEI and. We're going there because my daughter got into this really cool sounding camp. It's like a veterinary camp at the university where they like take a little cohort of students and they kind of wear white coats and have this kind of really intense uh, daily schedule of doing veterinary school stuff. Um, and she kind of, you know, you had to apply for it months and months ago and uh, she got a place. So we were like, oh, wow, that's, that sounds cool. Um, but it's kind of miles away, so we, we have to move there for a week while she does this uh, while she does this camp. But it sounds really cool, so I'm a little bit jealous. That's very interesting. I have a friend named Matt who works on Prince Edward Island. Really? Yeah. He moved from New Orleans. He was the uh, he worked for the new. I used to be a, a dive a volunteer diver for the New Orleans Aquarium for many years, and he mm -hmm. used to be the something like the dive program coordinator or something like that anyway it doesn't matter but um what does I he see do there now he has something where he he finished his marine biology degree and is now doing research on some type of aquatic life specific to pei 
Okay. Yeah, it's got, I mean, it's right on the St. Lawrence uh, on one side, and then the other side, there's this, the Northumberland Strait. It's very shallow um, stretch of, of water that gets very warm, so it's like a really unusual ecosystem, um, I guess, you know, quite a unique um, spot. And, um, yeah, so I, I can imagine how it's, a really interesting place to do that kind of work um and it's it's really interesting this sort of weird little i mean nova scotia is already kind of cut off it feels a bit like i don't know a parallel universe where everything's kind of three decades ago but pei really is like you know a time safari yeah well i mean even you know because charlottetown the biggest town is feels like a village basically there's a university there and you know it's like a full-on province so there's like a provincial government and all the rest of it but i mean it feels like a little town um so it's very very sweet uh, beautiful beaches like it's absolutely gorgeous um, and lots of potatoes uh they grow native there or I get, well they just grow really well there so i think probably a lot of um and mccain's it comes from New Brunswick, I guess. It was, from, I think, it's a New Brunswick thing. New Brunswick is the next province, the big province next to PEI. Um, so there's a real kind of potato, potato chip, French fry, empire thing going on in the region. There's potatoes everywhere. Nice. <laughs> cool. Uh, you got to get your economy somewhere, I guess, right? And that's a big part of theirs. It sounds like a it sounds like a nice vacation. Are you guys going to are you, are you going to work while you're there? Are you completely offline and chill out and see the sights or what? Um, well, the first week I'll definitely be offline. Um, the second week I'll probably try and do a little bit. Like I'm I'm so I've been completely dysfunctional for months now, basically. But I almost <laughs> I mean. To, to anyone who's emailed me or, or even reached out on Slack and stuff recently, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I've been just horrible um, lately at getting back to people. So I've got a lot. I've got. A, I'm in a big hole. I need to dig my way out of it. Well, chill out. So first. I'll probably do. I'll do a bit of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, I can eat bags of chips and stare out to sea. And... Go for a run on the beach. Yeah. That'll burn you up. <laughs> yeah, it's, the weather's really nice here, but it's not that hot. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Running in the sand is hard. Yeah, no, that's true. The last time I went for this is probably not something anyone wants to know, but anyway, the last time I went <laughs> running on the beach, uh, I didn't make it nearly as far as I thought I was going to because it is way harder to run in the sand uh, than it is to run on the trail or the road. Yeah, well, the soft sand is knackering, and yeah. the hard sand is brutal. Like it's hard, it feels, I don't know if there's something weirdly like fixotropic about the sort of, I guess it's saturated with water basically, but it feels harder than running on pavement somehow. Um, maybe, well, I, last time I did it, I ran in bare feet, which probably is part mm -hmm. of it because you would never run on pavement in bare feet. But that seems like such a nice, lovely thing to do, right? Run along the beach in bare feet, but it totally destroyed my feet. Yeah, run in soft sand. Bring your water. 
Go one. Yeah, the, our beaches here are often like sand, then pebbles, then sand, then pebbles. Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyway, yes. What about you? You got vacation happening? Um. No. I don't know. I feel like we just. Oh, I just got back from. Um, I had some meetings in San Francisco, and then I, weirdly enough, had a meeting in San Diego, uh, and my stepbrother lives there, so I spent the weekend, hung out, um, went to the beach, uh, you know, whatever. we went sailing finally, I haven't been sailing in years, so that was cool. Nice. Um, yeah, no, things, we're just, we're heads down over here, just kind of doing our thing, mm -hmm. um, which is good, you don't want to, you definitely don't want to staycation in Texas in the summertime. <laughs> You're still enjoying Austin? Yes, indeed. It is a uh, lively town these days. Lots of things going on yeah. every night, every day. It's so much fun to, oh, you know, I won't make you jealous again with me talk of meetups, but <laughs> lots, of ideas, lots of good ideas flowing around. Yeah, good. Nice. So, what's, uh, what's, I'm just looking at the clock. I'm wondering how big of a question I want to ask. But um, yeah, what's what's the rest of your year look like? High level. Are you getting busier? Are you? Why? <laughs> oh my god. Um, so we have our 2019 summer intern program going on right now, um, and that will go on until the end of the summer. Obviously, we. Um, are generating quite a lot of um, really interesting tools for ourselves to use internally, and, and indeed working on some external projects as well for clients. Um, but the internal tooling that we're building right now is gonna take us probably you know, the, the better part of six months to sort of consume and, and get out mm -hmm. into the marketplace. Um, so I think we're gonna be doing a lot of different types of outreach using that, um, using a tooling. Um, more on that later, I suppose, but uh, definitely working on that. We are working on um, a couple of interesting projects right now. Um, one actually is in the geophysics space, which is cool. Um, and we're doing lots and lots of stuff in the supply chain world. So um, we have a, I've mentioned this before, but we really have built out some ro pretty robust tools in the um, delivery, the fulfillment space. So um, we built these reinforcement learning systems like suites of agents um, and their interacting components to uh, route the delivery of freight goods, um, you know, using a variety of shipping modalities, um, you know, air, truck, ocean, whatever. Uh, okay, what, what goods did you say? Rate goods? Freight, freight goods. Freight, thank you, Bob. Bulk, yeah, bulk sh shipping items. Um, using a variety of shipping modalities, but under, and, then, and the hard part is that they were operating under real business constraints. Um, so it's not like an academic like optimizer. It actually, right. <laughs> had, um, for instance, you know, what, what we have these rules in there like, um, Drivers are of trucks are only allowed to drive so many hours before they need to take a, a, a federally mandated break. Um, same thing with pilots, and then there's like you know preferred customer lists, and you have to deliver 
shipments for priority customers within you know x percent of the delivery window or whatever um you can imagine just hundreds of these types of rules and that's a really really hard thing to do um in any type of optimization setting but yeah. especially a reinforcement setting and uh hmm. so i'm particularly excited about that one yeah yeah constraints that's interesting because so um Without, without wanting to go down a massive rabbit hole, but since we've talked about it so often before, the, the old rainbow stuff. So, um, right, so recognizing rainbow color maps. Um, so recently, I guess it came up again because of the Markov chain stuff. But then it, it also came up at a hackathon we were at recently, and I thought, you know, I reckon you could just do this with neural networks, <laughs> never mind. Like, forget trying to do it sort of, uh, you know, analytically, I guess, but just um, train a neural net to map. I mean, essentially all the neural network has to actually do is order the colors that it finds in an image. Like that's all you're asking it for. Yeah. Um, so I got one working that sort of did that but it was also trying to guess the colors mm. like it was trying to do both things i was basically because i was just i was just giving it a bunch of uh pseudo color maps and saying look here's the map and here's the color bar that goes with it here's okay. the map here's the color bar here's the map here's the color bar and it does decently well yeah. but it often ends up giving you brown and purple and kind of mixed colors yeah. where it's 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 trying to get colors out but it's ending up in this sort of smudgy no part of the yeah there's null space exactly mm -hmm. and i thought well actually i know what the colors are like i can give you the colors just put them in order yeah so and then i then my flight ended so i'm like <laughs> okay so i haven't gone back i haven't gone back to that problem yet but how can i get it to just do this ordering problem. I want to give it the colors and say sort these. Mm. Like, what am I asking it for there? I can't quite get my head around that. It's sort of like dictionary order, like index. Yeah, it's color index. sorting. Yeah. But I, I think that the colors will end up being sorted. No, you see, they are actually sortable sort of numerically. Like, it's not just a cultural, you know, do you know what I mean? They're not arbitrary. It's not like learning words where mm -hmm. it's like, you know, there are, there are actually, they are the colors that are adjacent in the RGB3 space mm -hmm. are, are next to each other, <laughs> right, in the ordering. So, I mean, it is, it should, I think, in principle, be learnable. But I don't know how to, I don't know what the training set looks like for that task can't quite get my head around the, the problem, I guess. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. You could, so are you, okay, so you have to, you want two systems eventually, right? You want one to detect which colors in the image, which is the easy part. And I can, then, I feel like I can sort of do that with the like k-means. Like I can sort of just say, look, here's 128 colors that I mm -hmm. found. Um, mm -hmm. What order must they go in? Yeah. Given, given this image. 
you know something about the power spectral density, right? So you know something about the absolute like intensity. I wonder if wow. you can find n members and descend from there or ascend from there. Yeah, well, that's sort of what the Markov chain method tries to do. It's just that as soon as you introduce a bit of noise, it gets a bit unstable and it's a bit hard to mm. noise. There is just there is noise because there's extra annotations, there's image compression, uh, mm. there's just junk. Um, there's interpolation going on, so the color set isn't really pure. But anyway, getting closer, I'm inching. It might end up being this weird kind of hybrid solution where it's like, I don't know, multiple models are sort of making decisions about, oh, this one is grayscale, this one is this kind of thing, this one is that kind of thing. Like, I'll deal with them all separately. But yeah, meta modeling universe. For exactly. Sure. So, um, okay, anything else you want to add? Because the top of the show, it seemed like there was something you wanted to say, <laughs> but maybe not. What no. was it? I don't remember. I don't know. You just seemed like you were being really sort of cagey about something. I, I absolutely have no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> okay. Uh, in that case, just tell me what you're reading. Oh, okay. I'll tell you what I was reading. Well, I'll, I'll start with what I what I am reading. I'm reading the new Neil Stevenson book called Fall, and uh, I like Stevenson as an author. I've read Cryptonomicon and Snow Crash and Seven Eves. I thought those were great books. Um, this one, not my jam. I must no. say, no. What's the uh, different style, or what? What's uh... it's kind of it's almost yeah it's almost fantasy. It's um, so. I don't know, not really my thing, but uh, I'm almost finished with that. However, I did want to mention the book that I read before this one, okay. which uh, I wanted to have an undersampled radio about in and of itself. It was so good. It's called okay. The Code Book. Did I mention it oh. already? Okay. What, Simon Singh? Yes. Oh, that's such an awesome book. That's such an awesome book, man. Yeah, it's like one of the best books ever. Oh, man. So um it's it's really good it's it's a history of crypt cryptography and it was written in like the 90s so it's not complete but um it's just really well written um it is it, it can go down into the details if you want i mean there's appendices with like pseudocode like it goes deep but it's also um written in a narrative style which is compelling and uh, and fun so uh i was and as you know i have a, a sort of um a, a penchant for cryptographic puzzles uh and so i was getting so into it when i was reading that book that i ordered a i tried to order a textbook about um quantum cryptography but i couldn't get it on my kindle so i finally broke down and for the first time in like i don't know five or six years i actually bought a paper book <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> about post-quantum cryptography so i'm okay. start that how about you what are you reading well, on the on but on the paper book subject, we just built two more bookshelves in our house. Nice. <laughs> That's how out of control paper books are around here. I um, for my Kindle. Yeah, you see, I've I part of me, part of me really yearns for that minimalist, ten thousand books in your pocket, digital thing. But part of me just loves books. 
<laughs> physical books. And I can't get my head around. I've only got about 40 things on my Kindle, maybe 50. And I still, I don't know what's in there. I've no idea. But I know where every single book in my house is. Mm-hmm. I probably have 8,000 books. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can locate them all. It's kind of weird. Do so, do a decimal one? What? Do, do a decimal? No, that's the thing. Actually, they used to be organized some, uh-huh. somewhat. Not like, I'm never, I've never been a sorter. Uh-huh. But I, there were like fiction, nonfiction chunks. But mm-hmm. when we moved, like nearly ten years ago, um, everything ended up getting a bit jumbled. Mm-hmm. But but, the, but the, because they were packed in boxes that sort of made sense, bits of it make sense because <laughs> there's like a box worth of books here and a box worth of books there. <laughs> but I know where all the chunks are now. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty sad waste of my what little brain I have left. Anyway. Uh, what am I reading? So I just started reading. So like you, uh, I just read something that I really loved. Um, I think I've mentioned before, my favorite author is Magnus Mills. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I just read uh, one of the more recent, but it's not very new, uh, Magnus Mills called A Cruel Bird Came to the Nest and Looked In. Kind of a weird title. Uh, but re- it was classic, classic Magnus Mills. So it was back to the sort of the style, because I've read one or two that are a bit different, um, but this one was great. So I've really enjoyed that. I finished it um, at the weekend. Uh, and I just started this book, Timefulness, by Marsha Bjornerud, who's an American geologist um, at like a, a college somewhere in the US. I can't remember where. And I'm only one chapter in, or two. I guess I read the preface and the first chapter um, this weekend. And it's really, it's really nice. I, I really recommend it. It's, um, I don't know, it, it, like it's not, I don't, I, at least so far, it's not earth shattering or anything, but um, it's just got, it's just got a really nice turn of phrase. It feels really kind of honest and sort of true. Like she's, I, I don't know, very simple ideas in a way. Um, and, and sort of profound in a quiet kind of understated way. It's not a grand kind of, it's not like reading um, Richard Dawkins or something like that, right? It's much more approachable than that and, um, and better for it, I think, actually. It seems Time- like a really timefulness, yeah. So her, her base, the basic idea of the book is that um, society and decision makers and companies and society in general don't have have an incredibly poor concept of the of deep time and time in general um and and change and you know ideas that geologists sort of almost take for granted but um but you know the if if you were to if you were to sort of think about the equivalent level of ignorance in a spatial sense it would be as if nobody knew where south america was kind of thing like no one has any concept of um uh, you know what the ice age even never mind the jurassic never mind eons of billions of years before the precambrian so i i think it's, it's i doubt it will get read that widely, it's a pretty niche Princeton University Press kind of imprint and everything, but um, it deserves to be widely read, certainly by 
people like politicians. My God, the news these days. I, like it's like, it, it, it's oh, at no, a point no, where no. I just seriously. I was just at the point where you just can't read it anymore. I've like we've in our house we've latched onto sport the last couple of weeks because there's so much amazing sport going on. I don't. You almost certainly didn't watch the cricket yesterday, but no. it was one of the most incredible games of anything that's ever happened ever. Um, and you know the Wimbledon final was yesterday it was a totally amazing. The women's World Cup soccer was awesome. We were all watching that. Um, Meanwhile, you know, so yeah, that, that's this. Okay, I love it. I love it. That, that's been the only current affairs that we now consume in this house, and I, we don't well, like watch a lot of TV or anything. But the sport's been really good. Nice. Go and check out highlights from the England New Zealand World Cup cricket final yesterday. Eight minute long video on the ICC website. It was a bizarre game. I'm yeah. sure I wouldn't be able to tell it. <laughs> <That was good. laughs> All right, man. Well, it's lovely to catch up. Nice to see you. You nice. look well. You sound contented. Yeah, well, you know, next yeah, I keep we... forgetting there's a, a purportedly an audience, but anyway. Mm -hmm. I so um, I don't know how we're going to deliver this content next time, but we'll figure something out, and uh, there may or may not be video accompanying it. Yeah. See you then, everyone. Bye bye. <laughs>